Amen. Thank you so much, Ken. Thank you, worship team, for leading us this morning. Good morning, everybody. Happy New Year. Glad to have you here with us. My name is Blake Godsey. I am the kids pastor here. Um, It's really exciting, not only that we get to be all in one place, for one service, but especially we missed y'all so much on our Christmas Eve service. We're so sorry we weren't able to gather here, uh, but it makes it all the more special for us to be back here this morning. Hope you were still able to find some good time for uh, celebrating the birth of our Savior during Christmas uh, and for spending some good time with family. I know that uh, for me, being away for Christmas Eve, I've, I think I was even more struck and more grateful and felt even more blessed just to be a part of this church body and missed y'all a lot. Sincerely mean that. Um, So I'm glad to be here with you this morning. Uh, Today I wanted to share with you uh, from a passage that I I was actually at a conference a couple of months ago, uh, and a guy named Darren Whitehead, he's a pastor in Nashville, Tennessee, he shared just a short devotional on this passage, and it's just really stuck with me, and I thought, man, that would make a a good sermon, I'm going to put that one in my back pocket, and here we are, first day of the year, it's coming out of the back pocket to you today, so um, just to let you know where we're going to be, we're going to be in the book of 1 Kings chapter 19. Um, I was telling one of my grandparents that I was going to be preaching this morning, and she's been doing a, uh, a Bible study, like a really in-depth one on the era of the kings, and she was like, please just tell me it's not from the era of the kings with all those crazy names. And I was like, well, actually, I was like, we're going to keep it pretty calm on the crazy names, but that is what I'm going to talk about. So this text, it's set in the period of Israel that we might call the divided kingdom period, okay? We've got the northern kingdom, which retained the name Israel, and then we have the southern kingdom, which had the name Judah, and it's going to be specifically around one of the kings of the northern kingdom, Israel, whose name is Ahab, one of the most wicked kings that was in the history of Israel, led the people into idolatry along with his wife Jezebel, and so what we're going to see in this passage is God's prophet Elijah, He's a faithful servant, but he's in crisis. And the lesson that we're going to learn today is that even when things seem out of control, that God is near to us. And if we are honest with ourselves, things often seem out of control. Peace and rest feel far away. I hope that in this season you got to experience some peace and some rest. I hope that even if it's just for today, that's what you feel, but I think we all know that peace and rest are often elusive for us in our lives, whereas things being out of control, that happens all too often. So let's see what the Word of the Lord has for us this morning. So we're going to be in 1 Kings chapter 19, starting with verse 1. Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah, saying, So may the gods do to me, And more also, if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by this time tomorrow. So a little context for where we're at. Uh, In the chapter before, uh, Elijah has had this major showdown with some prophets of Baal, okay, a false uh, god, an idol that people in Israel were worshiping. He had challenged some of their prophets to a little contest, okay? They were both going to call out to their gods, and whichever god answered with fire— that God was the true God. Okay, we actually covered this story in Kids Men like probably six, eight weeks ago, something like that. If you need more details on the story, I feel pretty confident. You could get some details from uh, someone in like pre-K through fifth grade. They could tell you a few details about the story. So here's what happened. They set up their altars and it started out the 450 Baal prophets, 450 
prophets, they screamed and they yelled for hours and hours asking that Baal would bring fire down and nothing happened. And Elijah, he brought the original Old Testament smack talk to the contest. He said, oh, you better, you better yell a little louder. Maybe he's sleeping. Or maybe your God went on a journey. Maybe he's using the bathroom. You better, you better really yell so he can hear you. All right, the original smack talk from Elijah is what he does. And then he does something a little bit odd before he calls out to God. He pours something on the altar three times. Kids, y'all remember from the story? What did Elijah pour on the altar? Shout it out, shout it out. Water, that's right. Very good. Yes, score. They got it right. All right. Woo! All downhill from here. So, okay, that doesn't make sense. If you're trying to get something to catch fire, you're not going to pour water on it, right? But Elijah knew that it didn't matter what he did, that God was going to answer because his God is the true God. Sure enough, Elijah calls out to God. He doesn't beg. He doesn't plead. He prays to God. He says, God, you are the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Show them who you are and the sacrifice and the water and even the altar itself were consumed with the fire. The Baal prophets were defeated. They, everyone said, Yahweh is the true God. He is the true God. So back here in chapter 19, Jezebel is a faithful Baal worshiper. She is very upset that not only has her God lost the contest, but that Elijah has defeated her prophets. And so she says now, I'm going to do what you did to them. I sends a messenger with this threat that she's going to take his life. But Elijah is a faithful man of God. He's not going to react to that. Well, actually, let's look and see in verse 3. Then he was afraid, and he arose and ran for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat under a broom tree. When Elijah hears this, he quite literally runs for his life. He leaves the northern kingdom of Israel. He runs into the southern kingdom of Judah. He leaves his servant there, and he keeps going. He goes another day out into the wilderness. He's frustrated. He's scared. He feels alone. Elijah is done. He can't take it anymore. He is done. And let's remember, I know I've just told you this story about Elijah. This is Elijah the prophet. He is one of the most faithful and revered prophets of the entire Old Testament, okay? He stood up to this same Jezebel and Ahab. He's told them and he's proclaimed the Lord was going to bring a years-long drought. He had this encounter with the Baal prophets. Not to mention that in, at the very end of the Old Testament, in Malachi 4, we're told that in the day of the Lord, someone's going to come in the spirit of Elijah to go before Okay, and an angel and then Jesus himself confirmed that person's John the Baptist who came in the spirit of Elijah. And if you remember when Jesus was transfigured, he's up on the mountain, the disciples see him, he's talking to Moses and Elijah. This isn't just some ordinary prophet. This is someone we expect a lot of. And we see even the greatest heroes of our faith, perhaps especially the greatest heroes of our faith struggle and they stumble and they fall. Elijah didn't think that God could take care of him. Elijah feared Jezebel more than he 
feared God and Elijah ran away. This is a lesson over and over and over again in the scripture that every person struggles and stumbles and falls. Christianity is not great because its people are great. Our faith is great because our God is great. Everyone struggles. God works even through our frailty, especially through our frailty, so we can reveal how magnificent he truly is. In one of my earliest uh, days in ministry, one of the first responsibilities I had, I was over this small group of, uh, of leaders of other small groups, and my job was to uh, invest in the guys in this Bible study, to meet with them, disciple, with them, disciple them, and uh, I met with one of the guys for the first time, and we just didn't really, we just didn't really click together, and I was like, okay, there were other guys in the group that I really clicked with, and I tended to spend a lot more of my time with them. A couple of years passed, and me and that guy I didn't really click with, we were in the same internship program. He asked me out for coffee. We had a good time just chatting about the internship. I was a year ahead of him, so I had some tips and tricks for him. We get to the end, and he said, hey, I, I wanted to talk to you about something. I knew exactly what he wanted to talk about, and I was like, oh no, I'm running a little short on time. We may not have time for this, and he was telling, he's like, I was really hurt when, you know, you spent all your time with the other guys and didn't invest in me. I was having a really hard year that year, uh, and it just really hurt me. And I wish I could tell you that there is some, like, super redemptive thing from that story, but the reality is I just messed up and I hurt somebody. But even though I struggled and stumbled and fell in that area, God was still working in his life. He was still working in my life. He was using that to help me grow. But that's the reality of being a person. And the hope of the gospel isn't that we're going to become so perfect that God will accept us. The hope of the gospel is that God called my name in the midst of my brokenness and offered his salvation by grace. That's the hope of the gospel. He's going to work through us even though we spend our lives battling and working through that brokenness. He's still going to be faithful to work through us. So Elijah's in a total spiral. He's abandoning his responsibilities. Well, let's see how God responds to him. Let's pick it back up in the middle of verse 4 here. And he asked that he might die, saying, It is enough. Now, O Lord, take away my life, for I am no better than my father's. And he lay down and slept under a broom tree. And behold, an angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. And he looked, and behold, there was at his head a cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water. And he ate and drank and lay down again. And the angel of the Lord came again a second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, for the journey is too great for you. And he arose and ate and drank and went in the strength of that food 40 days and 40 nights to Horeb, the mount of God. So Elijah is lamenting even his own life. He's feeling guilty. He's feeling ashamed. His life is totally out of control, but God ministers to him in that. First, Elijah takes a nap. This is the important theological principle that sometimes we just need a nap, okay? It doesn't matter if you're a kid or adult. Sometimes we all just need a nap, okay? We get a little cranky. We need a nap. He wakes up. God provides some hot food, water for him. He goes down for another nap, okay? Then more food and water. Second important theological principle, sometimes we're just hangry, and a little dehydrated, okay? Especially when we've been wandering out in the wilderness a little bit too long. 
Well, we see God minister to Elijah in the midst of his distress, meeting his physical needs for rest and for nourishment. And don't let this be lost on us either. Both times the angel of the Lord, when he's sleeping, the angel of the Lord comes, touches him. God graciously shows his nearness, his presence to Elijah in that time. In a time that he's in great distress, totally out of control, God provided for his physical needs and showed that he is near. That's how he reacted to Elijah in the middle of his spiral. And one hope we have as believers as we seek to serve the physical needs of others is that we want people to know the provision and the nearness of God, right? The thing about us is we're physical and spiritual beings at the same time, all the time. We can't neglect either part of, those, of ourselves in that. Though, of course, we know our greatest need is a spiritual need. Our greatest spiritual need is the need to be reconciled to God. We also have to recognize that we are physical beings with physical needs. God shows us in this passage how providing for a physical need also shows who God is and helps us understand how he ministers to our spiritual needs. And we have the opportunity to represent God's nearness to others when we meet physical needs. A couple of years ago, I was on a uh, mission trip in uh, Costa Rica at a pastoral training institute. And something you may know about me is I am allergic to poultry, so I cannot eat chicken or turkey. Yes, I've tasted Chick-fil-A before, in case you're wondering. I've tasted it's better to have loved and lost than never to have loved at all, is what they say. So, and if you have a food allergy, you know if you're going to a place where your meals are going to be highly, like, controlled by someone else and not by you, it can, like, bring up a little stress. So I packed, like, a whole uh, extra case of Cliff Bars, you know, just to make sure I'd have enough, just in case, you know, they served a lot of chicken. I didn't know. So we were at this place, and they were serving, like, 50 or 60 meals, and they served chicken one day, and I was like, oh, no, thank you. I had rice, beans, vegetables, and it was great. I had plenty. But somebody asked, like, hey, like, is, does he have an allergy to somebody in my group? And they said, yeah, he can't have chicken. So every day after that, when they served chicken, they made me my own separate meal just to love and to serve me. And I, I got to say, it, it seems so small, but just the fact that they saw me and they wanted to meet that physical need. I was there on the mission trip. I was supposed to be serving them, right? But I got to experience God's provision and his nearness by the thoughtfulness of some people who just noticed that I didn't pick something out of a line at lunch. And I want to I want to ask you this morning, have you experienced God's provision and presence through a follower of Jesus before? And maybe you just thought they were being nice or trying to do the right thing, and I'm sure they were trying to be nice and to do the right thing. But even more than that, we, when we are ministered to in that way, God is showing his presence, his provision for us. And maybe God's calling you in this season to provide that provision and presence for someone else. These things are valuable in the kingdom of God. We see how God provided for Elijah in his time of distress and showed Elijah how he was near, how he was taking care of him. So on the strength of that food and rest, Elijah goes on a journey to Horeb called the Mount of God. This is what it says in verse 9. There he came to a cave and lodged in it. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, and he said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? He said, I have been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword, and I even I only am left, and they seek my life to take it away. Elijah journeys way out 
into the wilderness, okay? 40-day trip that he takes out farther into the wilderness. He comes to Horeb and finds a cave to lodge in. Now, this isn't just some mountain, okay? First of all, we see it's called the Mount of God. That's a pretty good mountain, all right? And then also a lot of biblical scholars think that Mount Sinai, Mount Horeb, are either the very same mountain or at least in very close proximity to one another. This is one of the most spiritually significant places in all of Scripture. That's my daughter making all that noise. <laughs> hey, sweetie. He goes out to this mountain, and this is a place where God originally called Moses when he was calling Moses to go and free his people from Egypt. This is where the Ten Commandments were given. This is where the law was given. This is a spiritually significant place. This seems like for Elijah, this is a last resort. If I'm going to encounter God anywhere, it's going to be here. Sure enough, there in the secluded cave, desperate, Elijah hears God. God asks, what are you doing here, Elijah? God already knows what he's doing there. God knows why he's there. This is an invitation to relationship, to respond to God. This, I think, reminds us of Genesis 3, where after the fall, Adam and Eve hear God in the garden. They hide themselves. God comes through and he says, where are you? It's an invitation. It's an offer to come near. And Elijah pours it out. He said, I've been doing my job as your prophet. Your people are in total rebellion against you. They've killed all your other prophets. I'm the last one here, and they're coming for me now. And we can see the subtext here. What are you up to? Where have you been? And why aren't you doing anything about it? That's what Elijah's asking God. Where are you? What are you doing? Why haven't you intervened? Do you ever feel that way? toward God? Do you feel that way now? Do you, did you used to feel that way and then you just stopped caring or expecting anything to change? You just kind of became normal? You may feel that way at work, at school, in your marriage, as you parent, your family relationships, all of the above plus some. You wonder if God knows, you wonder if he sees, and you wonder if he's planning to do anything about it. Elijah wondered the same thing. And let's look and see how God responds to Elijah. Verse 11. And he said, go out and stand on the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by and a great and strong wind tore the mountains and broke in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, the sound of a low whisper. God tells Elijah to stand before him as he passes by, and three incredibly powerful events happen. Okay? Now, I'm actually going to need some help from the kids. I'm going to need the kids to come up right here in front. We are going to need to act out what it would have been like to be Elijah in some of those instances, okay? Here's the problem about growing up and becoming an adult. Sometimes you lose your imagination, okay? If your kids are a little, uh, a little bit reticent, parents, it's okay to come with them. Thank you, kids. Let's give them a round of applause. Very brave. Very brave. 
kids, here's the problem. Sometimes adults get really bad at using their imagination, and I know y'all are awesome at using your imagination. Okay, so we have got to show them what it would have been like to experience these events, okay? All right, first one. We're going to pretend we are in a big windstorm. That's pretty good. That's pretty good. That's just like, okay, next. We've got to pretend the ground is shaking like an earthquake. I thought about falling down. I was worried I was going to hurt myself. All right, very good. Last one. Let's pretend we're right next to a big fire. Oh, it's hot. It's bright. I can't look right at it. Oh, it's so hot. Awesome. All right, very nice. Let's give him another round of applause. Thank you for helping us. Y'all can go back to your seats. Thank you so much. I hope that you adults with the lack of imagination, I hope that was helpful for you. You may have noticed that I did not ask the kids to help me with the whisper part, because if you've ever had a child whisper to you, they tell you they want to whisper, you lean down, they put their mouth to your ear, and they just talk at normal volume right in your ear. So I didn't want us to have to experience that this morning. So as powerful as the wind and the earthquake and the fire were, they all had something else in common. God wasn't in them. God wasn't in them. This doesn't mean he wasn't the author of these events. It hardly seems likely that these things would all happen in short order if it weren't from him and as he passed by. So yeah, these were things that were from God, but he didn't reveal himself in those instances. The way God displayed his presence was a low whisper, near, personal, and gentle. Now, could, could God have revealed himself in those other ways? Absolutely, he could have, and he has. In, the, in Job, God's talking to Job, another person whose life is totally out of control, right? He talks to him out of a whirlwind. When the Holy Spirit comes in Acts, it comes rushing like a great wind. God does come sometimes in the wind. Could he have come in an earthquake? Absolutely. In the book of Numbers, chapter 16, there's a rebellion against Moses and Aaron, and they say, why do you guys get to be in charge? We think we could be in charge pretty well. And this is what happens as an act of judgment from God. As soon as he had finished speaking all these words, the ground under them split apart, and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed them up with their households and all the people who belonged to Korah and all their goods. God has acted in earthquakes, not to mention the earth shook when Jesus was crucified. God has shown himself in earthquakes. Could God have shown himself in fire? Absolutely. In fact, it's in this very region where God reveals himself to Moses in a burning bush. Exodus 3, 1 through 5 says this. Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian, And he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, Here I am. Then he said, do not come near, take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. God has showed himself in 
fire. Not to mention Elijah, like we talked about in the previous passage, he saw God come down in power, in fire, to show who he was. But in this instance, God's presence and action was a low whisper. Elijah, sensing the presence of God, went out with face covered in recognition of God's holiness and his glory, and he heard the word of the Lord. A whisper is near. It's close. It's personal. That's how God came to Elijah in a time when he was totally out of control, when he was scared, and he didn't know what to do. God was close to him. And God asked him that same question, what are you doing here, Elijah? So what does that tell us then this morning? God taught Elijah, and he's teaching us today, that he is, over, he is capable of overcoming any obstacle in miraculous and powerful ways, but sometimes we just need to rest in the fact that God is near to us, and that he sees us. Truth is, God doesn't always miraculously take away our problems, but he's always in control. He doesn't always do things the way we expect. He rarely does things the way we expect, but he's always in control. Elijah again pours it out. God, this is, this is the reason I'm here. He says the same thing he said earlier. But God gives him hope in the middle of his despair. He gives him what he should do next. The hope he gives him is primarily two things. One, he tells him that he's raising up another prophet to come after him named Elisha. He's not the only prophet. He's not the only one left. He's not the end of the line. God has a plan. And he tells him a second thing. He says, I've kept for myself 7,000 people who have not bowed down to Baal, who have not forsaken my covenant. You're not the only one, Elijah. There are others out there that have stayed loyal to me like you have. He gives him this hope. But in the midst of his despair, God showed Elijah that he is close. And as we just celebrated in the Christmas season, God continues to show his nearness and presence with us. He especially showed it when Jesus, God incarnate, Emmanuel, God with us, lived among us. We got to see what God was like. He lived with sinners just like us, even though we mocked and scorned and accused him. And he took our punishment. He took our sin on his shoulders, even though he'd done nothing wrong, and he willingly died on a cross for our sins. And even then, his presence didn't leave because three days later, he was resurrected from the grave. He talked to many people. He ascended to heaven. And just like he promised his disciples in John, he promises us the same thing. He didn't leave us alone. He left us with a helper in the Holy Spirit. Anyone who has placed their faith in Jesus, who's become a Christian, has the gift of the Holy Spirit, the continuous presence of God with us at all times. This story of God coming near to Elijah is merely a taste of the nearness that we can experience through the Holy Spirit every moment. God has provided his presence in abundance to us. So wherever you are in your journey this morning, whatever ways you feel like your life is out of control, where you have no hope for things to change, if you're wondering where God is in the midst of whatever you're walking through, what we see here in the scripture, what we see throughout scripture is that God is near to us. 
Now, if you are here today and you haven't experienced the nearness of God personally and you want to become a Christian, if you already are a Christian, but you are feeling that God's calling you to take a step of faith like baptism or serving, we're going to have people down front. We would love to talk to you more about those things. This is the most important need that we have is the need to be reconciled to God. Jesus has made a way. If we place our faith in what Jesus has done, we can be reconciled to God. We can continue to experience the nearness of God through the Holy Spirit. And as we leave today, I just want to leave y'all with a couple of questions. First, when do you feel that God is near? And maybe when do you feel like God is far away? There's times in my life where I feel like God is far away. What are times that you feel like God is far away? Second, do you accept the fact that you struggle and stumble and fall? As we see, even the greatest heroes of our faith struggle and stumble and fall. We do too. Do you recognize that that's true of you also? And third, do you believe that God ministers to you and meets you there in the midst of your struggles? If there's anything you leave with here today, it's the desire for God to be near to us, the presence that he has that we can receive through the Holy Spirit because of what Jesus has done. He doesn't want to be far away. He doesn't want to be some God we can't contact. He wants to come close, be near to us. He sees, he knows, and he's in control. Let's pray. God, we are grateful that you are near to us even in this place right now, that you are near to us. Not because we deserve it. In spite of the fact that we don't deserve it, God, you still choose to be near to us. You still offer your presence to us. God, we're so grateful to be your people. We're so grateful that you're our God. Lord, when our lives feel out of control, as they so often do, help us to remember that you're working, that you're in control, that you're near to us. In the times when we can't seem to remember that fact, draw it back up in us. Remind us over and over again of your faithfulness as shown through scripture and through our lives. The times when we've seen how you have delivered us. Don't let us have a short memory. Don't let us forget who you are. We love you, we praise you, and we pray this all in the name of Jesus. Amen.